you have fully vacant units on your property that you have mothballed until next semester? If you do, I bet you've thought to yourself, we should list those on Airbnb for game day weekends or for parents visiting their kids. Maybe you're in a college town like Austin or Raleigh or Tallahassee, and your city has large festivals and not enough hotel rooms. You know you could lease those units on a nightly or a weekly basis. Providing short-term rentals on platforms like Airbnb can provide a great source of ancillary income. But it takes some, uh, all right, excuse me, it takes a lot of organization. There's the additional setup of providing linens and coffee makers and all the little things that a short-term tenant will expect. Then there's the regulatory and tax issues that could require additional work. More importantly, there's the time and labor to market on all the multiple platforms, handle the reservations and cancellations, the cleaning, and then there's the bookkeeping. All of this turns into a big distraction from the main job at hand, which is operating and leasing your property. That's where Vector Travel comes in. These guys know the short-term rental industry and they know how to relieve all of those burdens from the property manager. And best of all, they've become experts in how to do that with student properties. They understand the complexity of mixing travelers with college students. They know it so well, they can quickly identify if a student property is not going to be a good fit for their program. So if you have vacant units, reach out to Vector Travel and have them do a free, no obligation assessment to determine if enrolling your vacant units in their program will be beneficial. Go to vectorstays.com forward slash SHI. Fill out a quick form to receive more information. You will also get the first month service fee waived by going to that specific landing page. Again, that's vectorstays.com forward slash SHI. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees, and joining me today... Our two special guest co-hosts that are also our SHI ambassadors, Ryan Hand, who is also the Vice President of Business Development and Client Services at CA Ventures, and Greg King, General Manager at Asset Living at the Madison in Ames, Iowa. Guys, thanks for being my co-host today. Glad to be here. Yep, definitely glad. <laughs> Well, thanks for also serving as as SHI ambassadors. We mixed some things up this this year with that and appreciate you guys stepping on board and promoting everything that we're doing in the in the industry and appreciate you guys coming on and, and giving your perspective today. You know, before we get into kind of the main course of, of this episode, which is a an interview that I did recently on on how site staff and operators can prepare for a property sale. Tell me a little bit or tell the audience a little bit about your entree into student housing and what you like best about your career journey so far. Ron, we'll start with you. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, I started on site like so many people I know in the industry. I was a community assistant at a property at the University of Central Florida uh, working for American Campus. And it's kind of funny because uh, I, <laughs> I didn't even really know who American Campus was. And again, this was back before they acquired GMH. But looking back on it, I think one of my favorite memories is uh, at the time, Greg Dow was the COO. And I remember answering yeah. the phone at the property and 
he said, hey, this is Greg Down. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just a CA. Let me get the handle. <laughs> he was like, just a CA? Just a CA? He's like, you guys are the, the people making it happen on the ground. And uh, it's just kind of funny because it stuck with me. And I, I absolutely try to preach that to everybody you know, that I talk to when I go on site and just say, you guys are really the one giving the tours and making everything happen and creating the relationships with these students. So, you know, I think which would lead me to my next point, you know, my favorite part of my career progression through student housing has 100% been all the people I've met, Um, you know, looking at the different operators in the sector and the different people in the sector from the, the buyer side, all the way, you know, from a smaller regional buyer developer to the institutional capital. Uh, I've had the pleasure with working with so many of them. And even when I stepped outside of the operations side and worked on the vendor side, I, I got to work hand in hand with almost every single operator. And I think we just have such a special industry. It's it's small and close knit. And I think we all try to help each other out. So that's really been my favorite thing. It's uh, I've tried to leave a couple times and I've been pulled right back in. Uh, <laughs> and I'm really glad that I am still in student housing. Now, CA Ventures has got a, a global footprint now. Are you helping out with any of the business development in the other countries or just in the U.S.? Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I am, I would say, not as much as I'd like to be. <laughs> they, uh, It's hard enough even to get in Chicago from Texas. They believe that we are all the people with COVID sometimes. But, um, you know, prior to COVID happening, there were definitely a lot of plans to go over there, help them set up. I've got a little bit of experience working um, in a, in London and throughout the UK with a lot of the student operators there. So it's definitely something I help out with. I cannot wait till the borders open up. <laughs> we're all you know vaccinated and healthy and we can go ahead and really start ramping things up because the team there is is really moving and shaking and doing a great job themselves. But absolutely, uh, I will definitely be a, a helper to them in any way I can. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Greg. So uh, I go back to you as a leasing and marketing manager from there. I, you know, I got my foot in the door with student housing, um, started traveling, doing a lot more of the operational side. So kind of going either to distressed properties or just where they have a vacancy. So I got to work in a lot of different markets, a lot of different people, a lot of different universities. Um, that kind of goes with what I guess I like most about it is we're all in the same boat, but very different in the same, you know, whether it's the product and or market that I enjoy working with. So I know mine's a lot shorter and not as, not as in depth yeah. as Ryan's here, but same boat though. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a matter of time, Craig. Yep. Just a matter of time. So now you're originally from Ames or, or just Iowa? Yep. Just from Iowa, super small town. I would say around 1200 good time around Christmas when everyone's back in town, but very small and then went to Iowa State University. And that's where I kind of started with a property here in Ames and then traveled. And now I'm back here in Ames. So awesome. Um, well, guys, you know, the, the reason I wanted specifically you guys to help me out in co-hosting this today is that, you know, each of you have some pretty unique perspectives in the industry. Greg, you're, you know, your own site, making the gears turn, Ron, you're you know out trying to find more opportunity for CA Ventures to to grow their management platform and and create partnerships. You know, so a, a sale of a property can directly impact you guys very differently. 
you know, as, as operators, at the end of the day, we are going to be judged on how well, <laughs> you know, we're, we're able to help a property owner exit out of their investment. And so the interview today, which is, is from a February session of our, of our memo webinar series. So for folks that are hearing that word for the first time, uh, memo webinar series, that is a weekly meetup that we're doing each Wednesday at noon Eastern. We are not doing it the last week in March because that's the, that's the fifth week in, or the fifth Wednesday, I should say, in March. And there's only four letters in memo. So that gives you a little bit of understanding of how we came up with that acronym. But uh, so, yeah, come back. And, and if you're listening to this before the calendar turns over to April, uh, we've got our first one uh, for April coming up on April 7th. Super excited about that. If you know, you're at the site level uh, or new into student housing and have not you know, you're trying to figure this thing out about, you know, where can this career take me? I can't express enough, you know, how important it is for you to join on April 7th, because we've got four executives who went from, from being at the site level, started as student workers, and, you know, now are in executive and and C-suite positions within their company. So I haven't, tag this site level to C-suite because we did one a couple years ago that uh, that we tagged with with that title. Uh, but it's going to be very similar. And I think you'll have some some great information uh, coming out of that. So if you want more information on that, go to studenthousinginsight.com forward slash memo. But, but getting back to, uh, to my interview with that we're going over today uh, is with Jamie Swick. She's a broker at Colliers International who specializes in student housing transactions. And what's unique and, and awesome about Jamie, I've known Jamie for years. She actually started out at the site level as a leasing agent. Um, she, she moved from there to working in a corporate office uh, in, in Gainesville, Florida with a, with a group that's really focused on the Florida markets, uh, which is also called Colliers, um, but it's a different Collier than, uh, than Colliers International. But she, she ended up becoming their VP of acquisitions and then uh, moved into a consulting role and has now gone into, into brokerage with, with Colliers International. And so her and I have just had some great conversations uh, since she's gone into that position about you know what it is that she was able to pick up from the consulting side as well as being on site that is working and has translated very well for her on the brokerage side. And so I, I was interested in talking to her and sharing her views with with our audience and, and really sharing what operators need to be doing in order to set the properties up for the for the best exit. You know, not only uh, making sure that everything's in in line for uh, favorable underwriting, but also to make sure that we've got an on time an on time closing because that's that's very important when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to uh, student housing transactions, especially given the velocity that we have in leasing through our leasing season. If you don't hit things just right, it could end up delaying things and. Uh, someone very wise once told me, uh, timing kills all deals. So let's go ahead and we'll play her interview now. And then let's come back and I'll get you uh, get you guys to, to give your perspective on it. 
Jamie, welcome to Memo. Hi, Wes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Well, hey, you have assessed a ton of student housing deals over your career, and and I'm just completely thrilled that you were able to take the time out and, and talk to our audience today about kind of your experiences and some things that, that you've taken away. So let's just jump into it. There were a lot of properties 12 months ago when this pandemic started that really just, they, they were in that kind of period of, of looking at their pre-leasing and making decisions if they, owners were making decisions if they wanted to tee things up for a sale. And obviously with March coming in, it just froze everything. And every that there was, there were deals that I was working on that were literally on the closing table on March 13th when, when the uh, national emergency was declared that, you know, the, the bank came in and said, we're not going to do this today. <laughs> so, so I've got a feeling that there's, there's a lot of, you know, I don't know if the pinup demand is really the right word, but there's a lot of those deals that were being looked at, at being traded last year that were not. Now they're looking at doing that. We're also refinancing is a big thing. And we'll talk about that in a later session. But I really wanted to focus on with you about because I think that this year and, and next year, we're going to see a lot of people trying to sell their properties and just really wanted to, to spend some time with you and you know, see kind of what you're seeing. And, uh, you know, before we jump into, you know, to a lot of your perspectives on things, is it going to be a big year? What are your, what are your feelings on it? Do you think we'll see a lot of things transacting? People that have to sell are going to sell. And so that's going to happen as a result of some properties that may or may not have become just functionally obsolete in this environment due to additional supply. So we are starting to reach a point uh, in the industry nationwide where we're starting to see some of our earlier vintage stuff that's a little farther from campus going through the process of needing to be repositioned to market rate or conventional properties. So we're, we're seeing some trends associated with that. But we also have folks that, you know, they had underwritten their properties for a certain hold period. And typically that hold period is three to five years. And so now that they're coming to the end of the hold period for their fund, they have to make a decision. And then the third group is going to be the folks that are just going to essentially want to throw some spaghetti against the wall, test the market, see where things are. Um, and those are going to come on the market as well. But I wouldn't necessarily say that those are going to be having a high likelihood of trading just because we are still seeing a pretty reasonable disparity between buyer and seller expectations. Gotcha. So, you know, lay it out for us. What are the top, you know, three to five mistakes that you see management companies uh, as well as site staff make that end up kind of hindering a potential sell? Um, it's momentum. You know, when you find out that a property is going on the market, what you have got to do is make sure that your mindset is the mindset of a victor. And it's a really great, it's a great thing to think about because you can either be a victim and you can think of this as being a change for the negative, or you can look at it as quite literally a golden ticket, you know, for the Willy Wonka chocolate factory, which is what it is. It is truly an opportunity. It's an opportunity to make the people that are selling the property cry because they're losing you. And it's an opportunity to make the people that are 
gaining that property and looking you know, ahead with that opportunity and to do that in conjunction with you. And if you set yourself up well, um, and we'll go into how to do that, obviously, today, you know, you're really going to have the, a, a great opportunity to make sure that your trajectory for your career is going at the best speed and at the best altitude that it possibly can. So momentum, I'm writing that one down. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the other I would say is going to be attention to details. You cannot go into a situation where you know that there are going to be things that are going to come up uh, as a result of either due diligence or as part of the marketing process um, that you don't have answers to. So making sure that you know and have the answers that people are going to need is going to really be key there. And I would like to sort of put as an asterisk to number one, which is momentum, that is going to pertain to two key elements, collecting your rents and making sure that you're continuing to sign leases. Um, And the third thing is really going to be making sure that your whole team is on board for the potential that this is. So it's not just your own mindset as an individual. It's going to be the need to really guide your whole team from the from every from your CAs to your maintenance techs to your porters. You've got to make sure that everybody is approaching that opportunity, you know, with the best level of enthusiasm that they can. There's no reason for people to go home, you know, grumbly every single day after work because a property is on the market. There's just no need for that. There's there's so much better opportunities that can be presented as a result of a sale that teaching your team and guiding them on how to take advantage of it is really what I'm hoping you guys will take away today. So a quick question on, on momentum, especially when it comes to leasing velocity. I've been, and I, I want to just kind of get your feedback and, and find out how a potential buyer looks at it. But I've been in situations where, a property is is got really good, you know, year over year leasing numbers. They're outpacing the rest of the market, and maybe they haven't done that every year. And and for whatever reason, they get halfway through the leasing season, and it's like everything else catches up in the market. And a lot of that's typically due because the rest of the market ends up dropping their rates, where you know, that property that's been doing so well or a little bit, especially the ownership are a little bit hesitant to, you know, play that game because if they are looking at selling, why in the world would they, you know, drop rates if they've been leading the market? What kind of problems does that, and have you seen where that causes a problem in an upcoming transaction? Yeah, it's, it's actually in a lot of ways, it's easier to overcome objections from a buyer if the whole market is shifting, it's a little bit harder if the subject property is the one that is starting to lag behind. And so making sure that you have an explanation for what's happening is going to be really important because a buyer isn't necessarily going to perceive a slowdown in terms of uh, pre-leasing as a huge red flag. What they're going to look at is how other factors are correlating into that. Is the market slowing down? Is uh, Have the rates been dropped? And what does the concession situation look like? So it's going to be making sure that you have a full picture of all three of those things and understanding how your subject property relates to them is going to be what's really key. I, I, will, I will say that, you know, while performance is something that is going to be uh, the ultimate metric, having answers and understanding even though the situation might not be ideal or might be might not be perfect, 
if you under if you can demonstrate that you have an understanding and that you're invested in that you care, that's going to be what's really going to uh, help you preserve you know that job opportunity in the future. Gotcha. Any other? I think we got through through two of the mistakes. Were there any other ones that you wanted to add to that? Uh, mistakes that folks make. I, yeah. I you know I, I think that. I think that there's more to be said uh, for organizing your your back office and your uh, maintenance shed than people might think at first blush. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, I'm sure you can relate to this, Wes, as having gone into quite a few uh, you know situations that were maybe a little bit more daunting than what you had anticipated. So, you know, get, don't just focus on the front end, the front of your house, you know, focus on the back of the house, open up your junk drawers, clean them out, you know, give your team the opportunity to invest in the betterment of the property. And that means getting organized, getting, getting that feeling of, of work, Manship and pride and making sure that that's something that permeates all aspects of your day is important. It's not just making sure that you have that positive energy on the telephone because there is a very, very good chance that whomever is planning to buy that property is going to secret shop your property yep. and is going to be making those phone calls. You know, so you don't want to just approach it in that way with that level of sensitivity. You want to make sure that you're you're organized and you're on top of it from start to finish. And just, you know, to, to kind of comment off of that, I think it's, yeah, it's literally the maintenance shop and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the other, you know, I've walked into to properties where, you know, I'm looking at a potential acquisition and we've got, you go into the file room and it's, it's just an utter mess. And it's mm-hmm. like, this is going to, this is going to take extra resources just to do the due diligence because it's mm-hmm. clear you're not organized, which by the way, if people are not doing online leasing, um, because I think online leasing has been the biggest savior to have to go through a due diligence and, and checking everything out from a, from a lease audit perspective. But then, yeah, when it comes to the, to the maintenance shop, I mean, it's just like buying a used car. Like mm-hmm. y- you clean it up before you sell it. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, you don't leave all your makeup bags and everything in the, in the trunk of the car. And it, you just, you gotta, you gotta make the potential buyer feel like they're buying a well-oiled machine. And, and that comes with being organized for sure. So yeah, glad you made that point. Yeah, because the inventory will literally be a part of the due diligence documents and part of the sales documents. So if you as a property manager are going to your regional manager and saying, hey, look, I know this is coming down the pipe. They're going to want an inventory of all of the office goods. Here's a list of all of our computers and printers. They all, we also know they're going to want a list of all the inventory in the shop. Here's a list of all of our inventory here. And if you're proving that you've already taken the time to make sure that those things are important to you, that just seals the deal for that future management company coming online. And the truth is the regional manager at the company that, that is assuming the property, as well as the one that is, you know, currently in place at the property, they are going to talk. They are going to talk about that on-site staff. And so showing that you guys are invo- involved and that you understand how to motivate your team through a transition process like that is of, is, is of inexplicable financial value. And so do not be afraid to ask for bonuses, ask for bonuses for the disposition and ask for bonuses on the acquisition. 
get it coming and going. Because the truth is, if you're doing your job and you're going through the time and effort to do what I'm talking about here, you are adding quite literally millions of dollars of value to that property. Yeah, yeah. I've always, you know, I mean, you you know, kind of my background and the amount of time that I spent with with the the developer and that family that um, Mm -hmm. that owned that development company. And, you know, a history of of over, you know, almost 35 years of building and selling. And, you know, when they made the switch from selling condos to, to students and their parents to to doing uh, purpose-built apartment communities, that was one thing with the with the staff that I learned very early on. They would even in the hiring process, you know, for the lease up, they would explain, "Look, we are we are building this property with the with the mm-hmm. intention of stabilizing it and selling it. We've hired you because we feel like you're the best, and you can you can make this happen." We would love to take you to other places in the country where we where we are doing this, but if that doesn't work out, we completely understand. But we want you bought into the fact that our goal is to sell this property, and and because of that, you know you're going to be compensated off of uh, off of reaching that goal. And they would get a percentage. It's pretty, you know, it's a nice payday, quite honestly, for mm-hmm. a lot of those managers. And, and we did that with, with all of the full-time staff and, and even did some with the part-time staff uh, just because it's, it's so key for the, the goals to be aligned and for them to understand what they are. And, you know, I, I never had a situation where we weren't the whole staff, you know, if something fell apart for some reason, because maybe a buyer couldn't get financing or whatever, they were like almost devastated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, the, the, it was not a situation where they were worried like they were going to lose their job and that type of thing. It, it, before I get to my next question, any other any other mistakes you see folks making? No, I, I really think that's it. Just going into it with a bad, defeated attitude. There's just no reason for that. And then, you know, failing to pay attention to the details and getting organized, you know, those are the two biggest things. I I believe in my heart at the end of the day, Wes, that every single person watching this is going to do everything they can to stay on top of the collectability of the rents and to make sure that the rents that they are due, they are collected. That's a no brainer and very obvious. And also making sure that they are taking as much opportunity as they can for their pre-leasing and their renewals. Those two you know, they are absolutely given. I don't even feel, you know, that we have to go into that in any greater detail. Yeah. 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 So when it, when it comes to sellers who are considering a a potential sell, what are some of the things that you see them do that just drives you up a wall? (laughs) Um, It drives me crazy when they want to be paid for rent growth that they were never able to achieve themselves. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> See yeah. that all the time. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so uh, anything else besides that? Um, you know, it, I will say that it is a pet peeve of mine when they uh, keep the property, um, the, the pro- property being marketed, um, you know, behind the behind the curtain and they don't reveal that to their on-site staff that really does it that really does bother me i don't yeah. think that it is um that it's it's given the property the best opportunity to shine because the truth is at the end of the day 
you know, <laughs> these folks are are brilliant. They are the ones on the front line. You know, when a bunch of, of weirdo potential buyers come in the front door, you know, with their shiny shoes and they are just there to look for an apartment. Yeah, you know, yeah. everybody staff, knows what's up. Everybody knows what's up. And so you're 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 putting you know your asset in such a point of vulnerability by not communicating to your on-site staff that you know it's a real source of aggravation for me because because yeah. I'm the one on the awkward tour <laughs> standing yeah. there yeah. with the leasing agent going I'm sorry that I'm being asked to lie to you I don't appreciate <laughs> you know being asked to do that yeah. So, you know, let, let's, again, I, I want to kind of go back to, to that process because you've seen this quite a bit. You've been a part of a lot of due diligence, uh, especially in your, in your consulting days. And, uh, you know, let, let's talk about the audit process because I think if no one's been through that before, it can be a little daunting. And, and I think, mm-hmm. and, and I know we, we've got some folks in our audience who have never gone through that. And, just want to, you know, kind of get your your opinion on or some insight into, you know, things they need to be thinking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, concessions are going to be one of the places that they're going to dig in most closely. So making sure that you're properly annotating for each and every concession that's been offered or gift card that is being provided. You need to make sure that all of that stuff is properly de- uh, documented. That's going to be really key. But you need to take it one step further. And if you really want to show your investment in the asset and in, and your investment in the future success of the asset, you need to take a good long look and spend some time with your budget, with your income, with your expenses and with your your actuals to date. And if you haven't I'm been so, hitting those budgets. So, so, I'm going to stop you right there because I'm just so glad you said that because there is nothing more annoying than for, because I've been on the acquisition side. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, there's probably been at least three dozen acquisitions that, that I've done in my career. And going in and starting to talk to someone about, uh, you know, to a property manager who really should be the one doing their, their, their own budget process. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. still amazed at how many companies don't put that, you know, it's a, it's a regional manager duty or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, they, yeah, they don't understand every single line item and, and, and what's going into it. They don't understand, you know, their, their budget variance to date. And yeah, I mean, that's, and, and they don't know how to run a T12 <laughs> income statement. It's like, you know, you, you got to know how to, how to, you know, how to do those things and how to explain those things, because there's going to be a lot of questions on it. And mm-hmm. Honestly, that used to be something I would, you know, when we were selling a property and I was, you know, kind of in a regional manager role, we would role play it, you know, between mm-hmm. myself and the property manager, you know, as to, okay, this is, this is what they're going to come in and start asking. And so I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, one of my very favorite uh, expressions is failure to prepare is preparing to fail. So when you know that you have a property that is going to go on the market, get involved in those numbers, print it out, get your ruler, get your pencil, get your highlighter, figure out where you have some little anomalies and those variances and take ownership of it. You know, it's never going to be a good enough answer to a buyer to say, I don't know, that's what we spent last year. 
That's not going to be, you've got to be prepared to associate a meaning and a why to every single line item in your budget, because it shows that you're invested. And, you know, whomever it is that you're speaking with that's investing in the property, they're spending millions and millions of dollars. So knowing that you're willing to take ownership of, of these kinds of tasks is going to be of real value. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to, you know, some of those line items in the expense sections, I will tell you that where your buyers are going to be paying the most amount of scrutiny is going to be very closely connected to what we were talking about before, which is your concessions. And that's going to be your marketing section. So spend some real time on your marketing budget and make sure that you're understanding and you're doing the best you can to defend the ways that you are choosing to spend your dollars. Because a new buyer is so likely to come in and basically just slash that marketing budget because they're going to assume, you know, that their new group can do it more efficiently. And if you want to protect yourself from having to deal with that and not have the resources that you need, you've got to be able to really take ownership of that marketing budget. So that's one of the sections that I would say buyers are most likely to slash that can do the most damage to a property. But it's a point that a, a property manager can really kind of reconcile those two if they take the time to really get ownership of those numbers and the needs associated with them. Yeah, that's such a such of a key point because I think when there's a there's a particular property manager that I'm that I'm thinking about you know right now as you're saying that who when when I was talking with her about buying her property she knew her numbers forwards and backwards and mm-hmm. you know there were a lot of things that didn't match up from a, you know a regional perspective on some of the standards for expenses right. Mm-hmm. NMHC puts a great report out uh, regarding that. And we kind of use that to, to bookmark everything, right? And we were able to, to ask her those questions of, okay, well, why is, you know, why, why is marketing, uh, you know, why, why are these particular things in your marketing budget or your marketing expenses? You know, why are those, what, what makes this up and, and go into the one I love the best, you know, comes down to turn expenses. And if someone has gone through that RFP process and can and show to, you know, a potential buyer, look, here are all, I won't ever forget this manager. She had, she'd been in the property for eight years and she had a notebook of all of her, her, you know, bid processing for each year for turn. And so she mm-hmm. was able to pull it out and say, look, I've got three to five bids on every single trade. You know, mm-hmm. let me show you the ones that I picked and where everything was at. And it was like, there was no disputing anything that she mm-hmm. said. And, and it was, it was, it was also great going through budget season with her too. Cause she, <laughs> she, <laughs> she knew exactly what, what she, uh, what she needed and what she didn't need. So yeah, thanks for, for mentioning that. Well, and I want to, I want to add one more thing on to that, Wes, and, and that is, you know, a buyer coming into a property, they are assuming that they are going to need to allocate some dollars to spruce the place up. Very rarely do you have a buyer come in who's expecting to spend less money on turnover. That's not very often, actually, because they are assuming that the property is being maintained to the best of its ability to that minimum requirement. So you'll yeah. actually see a buyer come in and say, you know what, let's get aggressive on these carpet replacements. Let's, let's, let's start doing more full paints this year. Let's get, you know, s- s- get away from our touch-ups and our partials. So, you know, think of this, like I was saying before, think of this as a golden ticket. 
and put together your wish list. You know, is it kind of is it kind of bumming the maintenance guys out to have a really dogged out looking golf cart? Put it on the list. These buyers are going to sit down with you and they're going to say, what do you want? And they're going to be eager to allocate those dollars. They're going to be energized by things that enter energize the people on site. If you get excited about it, then they know that you're going to be able to get renters excited about it. And that means more dollars for them, more surety of that income stream. So don't be afraid to put together a wish list and don't be afraid to talk about things that you would do on the property if you had an unlimited amount of money. Talk about it because these folks are sophisticated enough to be able to run those return on investment analysis to find out if maybe your idea about replacing uh, all of the windows might be a good idea or painting yeah. the whole property. So don't be afraid to go in with the wish list. And I think I think to back that wish list up, if you're able to show if you're able to to represent what that may mean in additional revenue, you know, mm-hmm. um, I remember purchasing a property that, you know, didn't have a swimming pool and everything in the market mm-hmm. had a swimming pool. And uh, the property manager said, you know, that that's that's the one key thing that, you know, mm-hmm. if it's someone coming off of campus for the first time. They really care about that, you know, not so much with your with your graduate students. And, you know, I know because of that, I'm I'm, I'm missing out 15, 20 dollars more in rent, you know, per bed that that I could otherwise, you know, you can look at the at the market survey and kind of tell that mm-hmm. that's a really key part of having that wish list is being able to back that into, you know, some type of revenue, you know, be it ancillary or, you know, being able to be able to provide some type of rent bump. So yeah, thanks for mentioning that. So I I guess my last question is, you know, and I hate, I hate asking it this way. I kind of want to say, you know, what, what should property managers, you know, make sure that they're not doing, but I'm reluctant to say that because I feel like, you know, this has got to be a very transparent process because, uh, you know, it, things will end up coming up. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't think, if something's going to fall apart, I'd rather it be known as early as possible. But, but I do think there is. Uh, I think site managers do need to be cognitive of of how to frame certain things. And, and the mm-hmm. first thing that kind of comes to my mind is university information. I, I think that's probably one of the hardest things to do in a market analysis um, mm-hmm. from a from a buyer's perspective. And you may have really great information as a as a site manager on conversations that you're having with with you know administrators on campus that maybe they don't have, and I, you know sometimes that could take a buyer down a, a bunny trail. So, are there things that certain things that you would suggest as far as as far as framing to make sure that you know they're I don't want to say putting a positive spin, but 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 what what other things are out there that you would say? They just really need to be cognitive of, of how they're they're framing certain discussions. Yeah, and, and particularly uh, when it comes to the university and the relationship there. That is one of the places that is the most difficult for someone who is remote to the market to, to get a real understanding of. So, you know, of course, we all have our, our data. College House, you know, on just before us today. Um, axiometrics, Yardie's in the game now too. So there's a lot of different resources out there to get sort of a picture of what things are looking like from a market 
for a market. But when it comes to the uh, details of really how what's the day to day vibe like between the university and the private off campus housing sector, that's something that I think a manager can really impart some real value there. And an example would be, you know, what's the situation with bus routes? Are the bus routes being serviced, you know, throughout the entire market to make sure that the students living off campus can get to campus conveniently? Or did the president, you know, a year or two ago decide to cut funding to the buses because they didn't see the value for having uh, the students brought in? So there's there's things like that. There's nuances that can really impart a sense to a buyer that can help them know kind of what sort of waters they're going into. You know, are they going to be at a situation where, you know, you can only get a table at the housing fair if you sign up for it eight months in advance? These are the kinds of things that can just be of tremendous value to a buyer because it helps them to get a little bit of an idea of what that what that relationship dynamic is going to look like. And one of the good things or one of the silver linings to the pandemic has been that the off-campus housing and the on-campus housing, and then also, of course, the administration that's part of the classroom instruction on campus, they have all had to work together like never before, you know, to just keep it on the rails and keep the, the education system moving along. And so we've We've seen a lot of progress in that way, and I'm very optimistic that the universities themselves will continue to see value in the private off-campus sector. But giving your buyer a snapshot of what that really looks like, what that dynamic feels like, I think is of real value. Yeah, I think this this prior year has really opened their eyes to mm-hmm. how important the, the private sector can be because... Uh, when the when they had to send all the students to to remote and kick them out of on campus housing, uh, a lot of them, you know, that they, they didn't have homes to go to, and mm-hmm. they they had to look. And the thing is, is if, if if there were stronger relationships with off campus, I feel like there was there was more continuity between approaching everything that that happened in March and April of last year with the universities and and things being very seamless for the students and, and providing mm-hmm. kind of a great experience for for them in, in the midst of you know something that wasn't a great experience uh, having to to leave you know campus in the middle of a semester well you know Jamie uh, thanks so much for for your time today you know you're insight and experience in, in this industry is just extraordinary we need to hear your voice and, and thoughts regarding your perspective on, on what you're seeing in the market. And I, I appreciate you spending the time with us today to share your knowledge with, with everybody else. Last question, if we've got someone that is out there in the audience who has interest in potentially you know becoming a consultant or a broker, what advice would you give them? Hmm, save up. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably going to go hungry for a while. Um, so if this is something that is a dream of yours, by all means, make it happen. Um, I had a dream of going into brokerage when I was as young as uh, 16. And in 2001, I was standing in front of Nathan Collier of Collier Companies based in Gainesville. And he said that his management added equity. And it literally was a light bulb experience for me. 
And so I spent the time on site trying to learn how to add value, trying to understand market dynamics, because I knew that I ultimately did want to go into brokerage. And so I examined every single situation from as many perspectives as I could to try and give myself that variable um, in terms of that that perspective. And I, I think it's added a lot of value and it certainly made it easier for me to do my job now. Yeah, I, I love Nathan. He's uh He's a bit, you know, unique in a lot of ways, um, mm-hmm. as well as the the company. But man, just spend a couple of hours with him, mm-hmm. and and ask him about his journey, and it just it completely, you know, will, will provide a shift in in how you think about real estate. And so, yep. so Very yeah, inspiring. I, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of you know, what I know Nathan Collier to be that, that is certainly part of your perspective as well. And so that's, that's another reason I'm always glad to get it. Well, Well, Hey, again, thanks so much for, for your time. Um, If folks want to follow you, uh, you know, obviously you're on LinkedIn and, and that's actually in your speaker profile. If they want to follow you there, is there anywhere else that they can get a hold of you? And um, I'm assuming- just call me. I, I'm not. I'm not an active Twitter person, but I am happy to share my perspective and give advice to anybody. So, you know, for me, if you want to make a personal connection, that's really what I would recommend. So, just don't be afraid to shoot me an email or call me. I'm happy to connect and have a real person-to-person interaction. Uh, again, thanks so much for your time, Jamie, and looking forward to having some more discussions with you in the future. Me too. Me too. Thanks, Wes. Well, again, thanks to Jamie for for giving her time for our memo audience. And if you've got any kind of questions, regardless if you're on site or if you are an owner investor, regardless of, of what character you play in in the student housing world, Jamie has has got an incredible amount of knowledge and insight. And I think spending some time with her would would do anybody well. So, Greg, Ron, now that you guys were able to to take that in and and hear those questions and answers. What, what's your perspective on it? You know, was there anything new that, that came out of it that you didn't think about before? And is there anything you're taking back to your teams on, you know, how you guys are going to be operating moving forward? Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely some good points that I love to reiterate with the teams. And I think her first point, just about momentum and making sure that, you know, you don't let your foot off the gas I know, you know, I've been in the seat many times where owners have come to me and say, hey, you know, we're going to go ahead and put this property in the market. And there's fear on site, no question. I mean, there's just a, oh my gosh, you know, what does that mean? What do I do? Whether, whether we've communicated everything perfectly or not, there's still just some internal fear. And I think if you turn that fear around and become what I'll call the opportunistic optimist, and really continue to focus on leasing and give great tours. There's so many opportunities for this on-site team to, you know, not only knock it out of the park, have a great transaction, continue a relationship with that same client, whether they buy a new asset or, you know, look to work with possibly the next ownership group that's coming in. Because a lot of times they don't necessarily want to shake up the on-site team. If, if things are going great, they love keeping a great team intact. So yeah. 
being being that opportunistic optimist to me is just something that that I love drilling into our teams and saying, guys, you know, this is this could be a really positive thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think you know, there's there's a couple of companies. You know, Greg, yours is one of them. Assets is the asset is the largest third party operator that that's out there, and there, there's always opportunity at, at asset. I've seen a lot of my colleagues and friends go to to asset move up but when when someone's starting a new company and investing in the space you know it's it's going to be typically a, a smaller company they may be buying something from you know that asset is currently managing and to go into a situation you know as a as a property manager and being picked up by a group that that's probably not as big and as sophisticated as what asset is all of a sudden, that person, that general manager, of that property really kind of becomes, in a lot of ways, you know, the the expert, and, and finds themselves an opportunity to help that smaller company become larger. So, yeah, great, great opportunities there. What, Greg, your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely like the, I guess the quote that she used, either be a a victim or a victor sort of thing. So, I mean, going back to how small, I guess, student housing is compared to, I mean, it's a huge industry, don't get me wrong, but everyone is always interconnected somehow, somewhere, someplace sort of thing. So, I mean, whether you're changing companies or not, I mean, having that, that turnaround, that turnaround story that, you know, you were here and now you leased it up, you're, you sold it, everything turned out well. I mean, that makes a name for yourself that you can carry on to that next company, like you said, and, or, I mean, grow within the same company that managed you, you know, before you, before you sold. So, I mean, I definitely, that's one thing that I definitely took back to my team is no matter what, if you're selling or not, always have that winning victory story to go with your property yeah. that you're at. Yeah. And as, as we've discussed, you know, at the, at the Madison, you know, there's a, a perfect victor story there where you guys took that thing from, from receivership to, to stabilization now, and uh, it says a whole lot about the about the staff there and and what you guys have been able to do, and uh, you know a, a new owner eventually coming into that um, is going to look at that team and say, "Wow, these guys they get these guys knew it when it was tough, right?" <laughs> so, well, fantastic. So, Ron, any any other takeaways? Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that just hit home for me is just this be organized. And it runs me back to just the thought, the thing that we all know, which first impressions really count. And if you walk in and the office is cluttered, the desk is cluttered in front of you, it's an immediate turnoff for me. And I I go and tour properties all the time. And when I see that, I'm just just worried. (laughs) I'm worried there's going to be things lost. There's, you know, just too much clutter, too many things going on. Um, so I, I think those things just can't be forgotten because sometimes, especially during a transition or, you know, when your property is going to the market and a lot of things are changing, a lot of the basics are maybe forgotten or just put to the side. And that's one thing where the, the first impression really counts. So make sure that your space looks organized, your maintenance shop looks organized, and you've decluttered everything because, you know, like they say, uh, a cluttered desk, a cluttered mind. Um, <laughs> I, I just make sure that 
you know, you really are putting your best foot forward and you're not going to be able to do that if, you know, you've, you've just got a really unorganized space. Yeah. And that's a key thing for the maintenance shop as well. That's, that's one that really, you know, I think most people are pretty good about keeping their office up because we're in clubhouses and leasing centers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but man, you go into a maintenance shop where you don't have someone that's organized and you all of a sudden begin questioning everything <laughs> that's going on with that exactly. staff. I've seen a couple. Yeah. Craig, any, any, other, any other takeaways, anything with your team that after coming out of that you're sharing with them? I mean, I know that she, I think her was like her second point where she was talking about overall budget. And then, you know, she really hit home concessions as well as where where the money's going, what it's going for and when did it happen sort of thing. So, I mean, whether you're a cash property or or not, you need to know. I mean, that's, I guess, really kind of hit home with me where I know exactly what's going on, where it's going, that sort of thing. So, I mean, being on the other side of acquiring a property when you're doing a, a lease audit, I'm sure Ryan can attest where you see concession forms of you have eight concessions on one, you know, one lease and you're like, where's that money going? And why did we have to give that much? Is it the, is it the market or is it the property where we're just trying to lease it up to actually get it out the door sort of thing? So, I mean, knowing those answers and knowing the reasoning behind it, I guess, is definitely a strong point that I know Jamie had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, she talks a little bit about, you know, making sure, you know, hitting leasing, uh, you know, they're towards, especially the way a lot of these things get teed up. A lot of these closings either happen late spring or, you know, they start happening right after the, the first of the year, or excuse me, not the first of the year, but September, you know, first of the academic year, uh, September, October time frame. How's, how's leasing going with, with you guys in, in Ames and, Ryan, maybe you've got some perspective on how th- the portfolio is going at, at CA with, with Lisa and you guys feeling good about this year? Yeah, I think, I think we feel really good. Uh, again, the industry as a whole, I was a little bit behind in pre-leasing, but we're seeing that gap close every day, which is, which is great. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more confidence in schools being more in-person so I think we feel we feel really good. We feel really good. We've got obviously a couple markets that have been more challenged, but again, I mean, we're looking to our on-site teams. They're doing a great job. Uh, you know, they know the challenge. They know the goals, and you know, we're just trying to empower them to do every single thing they can to get us across the finish line. Gotcha. How's the market names going? I would say, I mean, we're definitely we're definitely ahead of where the market should be. So, I mean, that's one thing I know we're a little nervous, I guess. I mean, everybody would be when you come into of the unknown, I should say. So, I mean, from year over year, we're, we're ahead by 60%. So, I mean, it's definitely kind of, I mean, going back to kind of where Jamie said, where you have to have the the interconnections with the university, with what's going on with the university and knowing what's, what they're going to try to plan or not plan to do. So, um, definitely having that insight. And then, like I said, I mean, just hit the ground running and doing anything you possibly can and. Yeah, yeah. I see the outcome. <laughs> yeah, the universities are, or with the exception of a few states, the universities are really pushing to to get everything back to you know tw- twenty nineteen levels, both in enrollment as well as just you know operations, right? So, yeah, I, I've, I'm I'm optimistic. 
I'm looking at these, you know, weekly reports and, and of course, monthly. We're on the memo series. We're doing uh, on the third Wednesday of of each month. We have our market insights, and which is you know part of this one that Jamie was on. Uh, but we also combine that with from our strategic partners over at College House and, and Charlie Matthews, their their CEO. If you don't know anything about College House, go check them out at collegehouse.com. But they're pretty much replacing the market survey uh, <laughs> that, that we've all been trying to get our hands around for for decades now of of getting good numbers from everybody. And uh, you know, nationally, he goes through you know all the national numbers and and regional numbers. You know, we're we're behind. You know, as a as an industry, um, you know, Southeast is weathering things pretty well. Southwest is 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 weathering it pretty well. Even even the Midwest is, but yeah, the the West Coast and and certainly the Northeast, where you know things have been impacted heavier than the rest of the country, it, it's really bringing things uh, down as far as year over year pre lease. But but everybody seems pretty optimistic. I saw where uh, just I think I just posted on LinkedIn yesterday. Moody's has upgraded their their rating for for. Uh, universities in the U.S. So hopefully everything keeps uh, keeps heading that position and Ron gets his trip to Europe or wherever he wants to go and <laughs> get some deals done there. Anywhere at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thanks so much again for, for being a part of this and offering your perspectives. Um, and, and thanks again for being an ambassador for Student Housing Insight. And we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Appreciate you having us on. Yeah. Thank you again. Take care, guys.